We express our praise and gratitude to Allah Ta'ala, we seek blessings on the Prophet, peace be upon him. So just a little bit of background, a very brief background of Rumi before getting into the text, Signs of the Unseen, which is Thaxton's translation of Fihi Ma Fihi. So, so Rumi is from the 1200s, he's born somewhere around 1207, dies around 1273, and uh, he... Uh, he's originally from Afghanistan, mm. and he uh, he's from Balkh, which used to be this huge Buddhist center of learning, and eventually became a Muslim center of learning. His father was also a major scholar, but what was happening at this time is that the Mongols uh, began their conquest of Muslim lands, mm. and so think of how close Afghanistan is to southern China, and so they're going into Afghanistan, and so the dad is packing up the family. Oh, by the way, Rumi's actual name is Jalaluddin Muhammad. The dad is picking up the family and moving west. And as the Mongols keep catching up, and eventually they settle in Baghdad, where the dad is also teaching, and Rumi is growing into a scholar himself. And then eventually Rumi settles in uh, Konya, which is in modern-day Turkey. And as the story goes, Rumi was a, was a jurist, he was a scholar of Hanafi law, and he has this fateful legendary meeting one day with this person, Shams of Tabriz, who asks him this, this super profound question, which I've actually forgotten at the moment, and this uh, leaves Rumi's head spinning. And the two start studying together, learning together for a long time. and. And as the story goes, Shumps vanishes, uh, perhaps to go on a trip uh, elsewhere, and Rumi's despondent, and then he comes back. And then <coughs> Rumi, and then Shumps uh, comes again, and then he vanishes again, and is never seen again. Now, if you go to Rumi's tomb in Konya, around the corner, there's also Shumps's tomb, but I believe Shumps's body is actually not there. Uh, there's all kinds of theories. One theory is that his, um, uh, that Ruby's students got jealous of Shumps and killed him. That's like the most extreme of the stories, and and Aleno's best. And and so in terms of his own discourse, Rumi's most famous for Masnavi Matnavi, which is this twenty-five thousand couplet or fifty thousand length poem, in Farsi. Uh, which he's also very playful about. Some people uh, uh, call it the Quran in Pahlavi, which is another old name for Farsi, or pre-Farsi. And, and so some will look at it as a full commentary of, of, of Quran. And then he has other quatrains and other, uh, other collections of poetic language. Um, and here we're going to look through his prose, just because this is a book that I like quite a bit. Uh, fihi ma fihi, the translation would be in it is what is in it, which is kind of like saying it is what it is, right? Or another theory is in it is what is in Masnavi. Okay? And this is a collection of 70 or so discourses um, uh, in prose uh, about you know, various aspects of our relationship with Allah Ta'ala, we would call this uh, spirituality and such. Okay. And so, facts, there's two translations of this uh, commonly available in English. One is by Arbery, 
who's translated Iqbal and a bunch of other uh, primary sources. Um, and then this one by Thaxton. Thaxton is actually a linguist, so he actually writes books on teaching language. So he has a book on Farsi, a book on Syriac, like teaching Syriac and such. Um, and so he also did uh, this translation. And so the Arbor edition is called The Discourses of Rumi. That one's also available in PDF through Baha'i sites. And the Baha'i sites actually change the pronoun for Allah to it, which uh, for our ears seems kind of why, jarring. Why is that? To emphasize that Allah Ta'ala does not have gender. Oh, okay. Right. Um, but anyway, that's, a, that's the brief introduction. Oh, and in terms of ideas, Rumi is essentially taking the, the, uh, the thought of Al-Ghazali. So Al-Ghazali is from about a century or so before Al-Ghazali dies in 1111. I think he's born in 1058. And Rumi is taking his, his uh, ideas and thought and then in Masnavi translating that into poems and stories and here um, into spiritual nuggets. Al-Ghazali is taking thought, uh, um, scholars before him and synthesizing them and such. And then to move more closer to the future, Iqbal is then taking uh, Rumi and then uh, modifying and, and adjusting for, for his thought. And so there is this continuous approach. And then the Rumi is sort of looked at as the founder, although he probably was not of the Mevlevi school of Sufis. Uh, the more common belief is that his son, Sultan Valad, uh, was the founder of the, of the Mevlevi Sufis. Those are the people who are famous for, for spinning, the, a.k.a. the whirling dervishes. Okay, so the approach we're going to take is I'm going to have uh, either of you read, and then I'll interrupt you frequently to, to get into discussion and such. And Dory, you're not on, on the spot. Um, and feel free to also interrupt with your own questions, what have you. Okay. So whoever wants to read first, why don't you just read the first <laughs> paragraph. From which page? Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, out of the PDF, it is page 29. Okay. And of the, of the book itself, at the bottom, it'll be page 1, as opposed okay. to the Roman numerals. It's literally just um, um, discourse number 1. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I can read. Um, is it out of the... Sorry? No, it, it, it's oh, page 1. Oh, page 1. Yeah. yeah. Page 1 of the... Oh, okay. um, the Prophet, peace be with him, said the worst scholar is one who visits princes, but the best prince is one who visits scholars. Happy the prince at a poor man's door, wretched the poor man at a prince's gate. Okay, so one point about uh, Hadith references. One of the criticisms that's often given um, that is factually correct but in meaning incorrect of hadith references in a lot of these books is that they are often weak hadith. Uh, factually, that is often correct, but the meaning, uh, however, of the point is incorrect. And this is a small side point that you'll hear from me many times, that uh, the concern about authenticity of hadith is more on legal hadith. Uh, meaning on issues that would relate to things that we would be held to account for on the Day of Judgment. Prophet says this, don't do this, don't do that. That means that's something that we're going to be held to account for on the Day of Judgment. So we want to make sure he said it, we want to make sure what he said. 
If it's, however, a commentary on life like this hadith, then the concern about authenticity is, is not as great. Anyways, so let's look at this, this uh, narration for a couple parts. Number one, worst scholar is the one who visits princes. Yeah. If we take that on its own, it just sounds like if a scholar is spending time with a prince, that they're automatically bad. Okay, why? What does it sound like? Like asking for favors. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's like the scholar is going to the prince for favors. Mm -hmm. And then the best prince is the one who visits scholars. Why would What would be a reason why a prince would do that? <coughs> to learn from them. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> to get advice. And then, then let's try to merge that or look for a consistent meaning with the second sentence, which has two parts. Happy the prince at a poor man's door, wretched the poor man at a prince's gate. So let's try to make sense of happy the prince at a poor man's door. What's, what does that mean? Um, he feels more grateful for what he has. So he could be more grateful for, for what he has. Yeah, absolutely. What about the, the second part? Wretched the poor man at a prince's gate. I guess is it talking about like some metaphysical wealth, I guess? Maybe. Okay. Or let's, let's uh, yeah. uh, for the, uh, the metaphysical part, let's hold off on that okay, yeah. for a second, but just... Uh, from a dunya perspective, wretched the poor man at a prince's gate. He sees all that he doesn't have in this world. Yeah, or just uh, <laughs> the the poor man is in a position of begging. Mm -hmm. So he's in a wretched state. Mm -hmm. So he's going to the prince, please provide for me. I'm a subject, I'm a citizen of your state. Please provide for me. Mm -hmm. And then happy the prince at a poor man's door. Uh, on the one hand, the prince is... Uh, perhaps becoming grateful for what, what he has or he's providing for the poor man. If we put all four of these together, this is now where we get into the metaphysical aspect. Everybody is giving or receiving. And so in Quran class last week, you know, I made the point that one of the essences of the whole deen is relationships. Now with this we can add one of the essence of, essences of relationships is someone is always giving and someone is always receiving. Okay. And so, the worst scholar is the one who visit prin visits princes if the scholar is seeking to receive something of dunya. Okay. But if the scholar is visiting the prince to give something of deen, then that's obviously a good thing. Mm -hmm. But the best prince is the one who visits scholars there for, for advice, and then likewise to receive deen. And then for the second half, happy is the prince at the poor man's door, wretched is the poor man at the prince's gate. At the material level, you know, the poor man is, is like sort of at the bottom of, of the totem pole. Uh, but what should make the prince happy? The opportunity to provide. Which means what? that the prince might be the one who is physically giving dunya money, but it's the man's poverty that is giving the prince the opportunity to give, and thus, in our language, to get good deeds and such. And so at one level, we're looking at things from a dunya perspective, which is sort of an external perspective, what we call the vahir. Uh, and sometimes that's the inverse of the internal what we call the bottom, the internal of what's really going on. Okay. And now we're going to have Rumi commentary, uh, commenting on this, um, similar to what we just said. All right, let's read this next paragraph. 
I can read. Yeah. Um, just let me know when to stop. Yeah. People have taken the saying at its face value to mean that it is not fitting for a scholar to visit a prince, lest he become a bad scholar. And, okay, and so this is especially relevant these days because a lot of people have been, have been on the, the fierce attack against a number of scholars for, for being in the company of, of many uh, political leaders, whether we're talking about Trump, UAE, Egyptian, uh, the dictator of Egypt and such. And so uh, it's especially timely for us to be talking about this and that people often just look only at the outward band. You're spending time with this person, therefore you're bad. And so people use derogatory terms like scholars for dollars and such. Okay, it does not, however, mean what people imagine. Its true meaning is that the worst scholar is one who receives support from princes, whom he must fear in order to gain his livelihood. Okay, so a few points here. <clears throat> uh, when people are doing the interpreting, when the masses are doing the interpreting, more often than not, it's wrong. Uh, and so when you see like a mob mentality forming, um, it's probably wrong. And even though I'm saying mob mentality, we naturally think it's wrong, but if a whole bunch of people are thinking the same thing, uh, then uh, um, in terms of an interpretation of a scholar and their intentions, then be very cautious about joining them. So it does not, however, mean what people imagine. It's not only, Ruby is not only commenting on how people are interpreting this hadith, but the fact of, of people and their imaginations. So then the next point, it's true meaning is the worst scholar is the one who receives support from princes, um, whom he must fear in order to gain his livelihood. What are we saying? That if you go to someone who's giving, um, the next step is going to become dependence. And dependence on its own is not bad. Obviously, we are only dependent upon Allah Ta'ala, but it might be through someone, like, for example, to gain knowledge or something. Um, and so, uh, if he must fear that person, then that's the wrong kind of dependence. Meaning, what does that mean? Whom he must fear in order to gain his livelihood. What does that say? Like... I mean, he's kind of has to say whatever the prince wants him to say. Yeah. Or he's a mouthpiece. Yeah, exactly. That if I want to remain on the patronage of the prince, then I need to then I need to say whatever the prince wants to hear. Otherwise, I risk losing my food. So that creates a deeper problem of fear because my fear for my sustenance, my hope for my sustenance, should be in Allah Ta'ala. And, and so this is, this is one of the things that a person who is in that position should be very, very cautious about. Naturally, if you have an employer, and in our era, era of social media and such, you have to be careful about whatever you're putting on social media because you lose your job. And um, it makes sense from the employer perspective because you're gonna bring bad press, bad attention uh, to, to the company. And so we're hearing a lot about that these days, about people something bizarro gets found in their history of social media, bam, fired. And, and so it's not a bad thing <coughs> from the giver's perspective, but from the receiver's perspective, if the result means that I'm withholding talking about truth or the whole truth, then that's a problem. Okay, continue. 
such a man's primary aim in the pursuit of learning is for princes to bestow gifts upon him, to hold him in high esteem, and to grant him official positions. Okay. So now think of the level that the dependence takes. So first we were talking about giving and receiving. And then we're talking about receiving to the point that you become dependent, which then um, you start having fear of the, of the giver. And then it gets deeper because then you might get ambitious. You want the prince to hold you in a high status, which means you might really compromise yourself. So the concerns, if a scholar is spending time with people in power, that's a legitimate concern. Uh, and then what happens if that same scholar starts seeming to speak, become the mouthpiece, then that's a big concern. And then here, what are we saying? Um, it is on their account that he betters himself and exchanges his ignorance for, for learning. And so, so now even personal transformation is happening so that the prince will give you high positions, high esteem, and all that stuff. And this is an easy trap to fall into, right? When you feel that there's someone who can give you something of dunya, it's surprisingly easy to, to fall down or start uh, sliding down the, the, the slippery slope. Okay, continue. <laughs> when okay. he becomes a scholar. Um, when he becomes a scholar, he learns proper etiquette out of fear of them and their power to punish. So willy-nilly, he conducts himself as they would have him do. Therefore, whether, out, whether outwardly it be the prince who visits the scholar or the scholar who visits the prince, such a scholar must conduct himself as a guest while the prince acts as a host. Okay. So, so he, when he becomes a scholar, he's learning etiquette out of the fear of them and their part of punish. So, so, one of, so adab is one of our important Islamic sciences, which we would translate uh, more as manners and etiquette, and we might even throw in some character there, how to speak to people. So one thing is to speak truth, even if it's bitter. Uh, another is that it might be silent, better to be silent than, than to speak. Uh, <clears throat> but what happens sometimes is that becomes your primary learning. Now that note, I have to put an asterisk there. Uh, I think it was Imam Malik who spoke about uh, studying with his teacher for something like 20 years. And he says for 18 years, all he did was study manners. Mm -hmm. And then he wishes he could have studied manners for all 20 years. And so I'm still saying this is a central, central field. But in the context of the prince, it becomes how to speak to make the prince happy. So now the scholar's Islamic learning is getting subdued. And so what are we saying? What can happen to a regular person? So we spoke about giving and receiving, give, uh, receiving to the point of dependence, and then to the point that uh, it becomes fear, and then creating ambition to, to receive even more. Now you can reach a point where you're compromising Dean. And for a scholar to compromise Dean, that's way worse than for a lay person. Why? <coughs> Because he has trust of people. He has a trust of people. It's even though Iman is in, you know, so to speak, the in the hands of Allah Ta'ala, the people are turning to the scholar to learn, and so the scholar might only teach things that will help the scholar's status. Mm -hmm. And that means there might be subjects that the scholar should be teaching, but if the prince finds out, then the scholar could lose his position. Okay, continue. 
Um, oh, wait, sorry, sorry, sorry. So the last sentence of what you read. Therefore, whether outwardly it be the prince who visits the scholar or the scholar who visits the prince, such a scholar is the guest and the prince is the host. And so it doesn't matter who's visiting whom, it's who is depending upon whom. Okay, continue. So on the other hand? On the other hand, when a scholar dons the robe of learning, not for the sake of princes, but rather first and foremost for God's sake, and when his conduct and comportment are along the path of rectitude, as his natural inclination should be, and for no other reason, like a fish, which can live only in water, then such a scholar is so ruled by reason that during during his time all men stand in awe of his presence and are illuminated by his reflected radiance, whether they are aware of it or not. Okay. So then you have the other intention. The other intention is to get uh, to learn for the sake of Allah. So to learn to get closer to Allah. So if that is my intention, then <clears throat> it is not as important to me to make the princes happy. I still have to conduct manners with everyone, and I still have to good give uh, good advice to princes and try to give them deen. But, and I might theoretically be an employee of the prince, but I'm not allowing myself to be dependent on him as long as I'm forcing myself or, can, or taking the path of being dependent upon Allah Ta'ala. Okay. And when his conduct and comportment are along the path of rectitude, so what does that then mean? Then, if my approach is to, uh, to learn for the sake of getting closer to Allah Ta'ala, then that is going to affect my character. And that is going to affect my disposition. And the character and disposition, it's one thing to be upright. Okay? When we speak of saleh, as, you know, as someone of upright character, we're talking about someone whose character is so upright that people feel con uh, compelled to be upright in their company. Okay? So what we're saying is that the scholar's character isn't just being upright, it's compelling others to be upright too. It's like the scholar, just by their character and disposition, uh, is compelling people to reform themselves. In contrast to the scholar who's going to the prince, whose whole dean is being subverted to help his, his dunya here, that person, by working for the sake of Allah Ta'ala, other people just feel compelled to change themselves for the better. As his natural inclination should be, and for no other reason. So then it becomes like a fish which can only live in water. Such a scholar is so ruled by reason, or in our case, aqal, um, that during his time all men stand in awe of his presence. Now, this doesn't mean that, you know, when the scholar walks by, everybody just stands up or is in fear. It's uh, there's something that happens in your heart when you are in the company of such a person. And what is that in simple language? It often means that if you are uh, upright, a person of Iman, you might get attracted to the scholar. If you are a person who is leaning more towards kufr or nifaq, like hypocrisy or rejection, you may get repulsed by, by the scholar and not even realize that this is happening. And everyone is illuminated by, this, by his reflected radiance. And so this person essentially becomes a vessel through which Allah Ta'ala is now speaking to, to creation. Not in the sense of a prophet, that's like, that's the pure thing, that's the, um, 
the, a prophet is is masum, uh, whereas a scholar is someone who, through constant effort, is being that person. Okay. Uh, continue. So, if such a scholar. If such a scholar goes to a prince, it is he who acts as the host and the prince as the guest because the prince will be receiving assistance and will be dependent upon the scholar. Mm -hmm. The scholar is quite independent of the prince. He will shed light like the sun, whose only property is to give and bestow. Okay. So, so now you understand that the scholar becomes the host and the prince becomes the guest, even though the conversation might be taking place in the prince's palace. Yeah. And so... So the prince, if the prince has sense, then uh, the prince will be turning to the, the, the scholar um, for dean, for advice, and such. And he'll be like, son, how much time do you always have? Ten minutes? Ten minutes. Yeah, chill. Okay, uh, continue. Um, the sun turns ordinary stones into rubies and carnelians and earthen mountains into mines of copper, gold, silver, and lead. The sun makes the earth green and fresh and produces various fruits on the trees. Its only function is to give and bestow. It does not take anything. As the Arabs say proverbially, we have learned to give, not to take. Such scholars are therefore hosts in any situation, and princes are the guests. Okay, so now if the, if the metaphor is that the scholar is the sun, what would you say is the stones, the rubies, the carnelians, the earth and mountains, or, um, and all that? Princes. This would be people. Or people, yeah. And so, so the scholar is now turning people from ordinary stones into gems, and then taking earthen mountains would be populations of people into mines of copper, gold, silver. So there's the hadith of the prophet peace be upon where he sees reported to have said that people are like mines of copper, of gold, and silver, and those who are best in jahiliyyah will be best in Islam if they learn deen. And so that's what's going on over here. And so, so there's a whole concept of like the spiritual well-being of humanity in general and the Muslims in particular is very much related to the spiritual well-being of the scholars. And so, and by extension, you can say the leaders. And so, if the scholars or the leaders are healthy and upright, the whole population of the Ummah will be healthy and upright. If the scholars and the leaders are corrupt then the whole population is going to be corrupt. And so, so it's the scholars that transform the hearts of, of the, the, the laity into things that are super valuable. So a rock uh, can have tremendous amounts of value <coughs> in being uh, a brick that is used, let's say, to make a masjid or something. But in general, you know, anyone would acknowledge that a ruby is far more valuable than, than a general stone. And so what is the essence of all of this? It's to give. So going back to our original point, we said that one of the essences of teen is relationships. One of the essences of relationships is to give. And so we have this teaching of the Arabs. We have learned to give, not to take. And so part of what you're essentially learning is how to be a giver in every situation. Uh, I think let's stop right here. Because okay. this particular discourse has three stories or three narratives, and we've just completed the first one. Okay. Any questions or thoughts? Mm -hmm. I think so. No question? Nope. All right.
Okay, we'll start from here. Subhanakallahumma wa bihamdika nashadu illa ilaha illa anta nastaghfiruka natubu ilayk. Subhanakallahumma wa bihamdika nashadu illa ilaha illa anta nastaghfiruka natubu ilayk. Subhanakallahumma, glory to you, O Allah, wa bihamdika, praise and gratitude to you. Nashadu illa ilaha illa anta, we bear witness there is no God but you. Nastaghfiruka, we seek your forgiveness. Wa natubu ilayk and we turn to you. Wa akhir da'wana and alhamdulillah khiru bil alameen. Okay, inshallah, we will continue then next week. Sounds good. Thank you so much.